Well, this weekend, I'm really excited to welcome our guest speaker, Daniel Fusco. Daniel is a crazy person. I mean, he just loves God, loves God's people, as is an effective communicator of God's word. When Daniel surrendered his life to Christ, he began a journey that involved planting multiple churches, and he eventually founded the Calvary Church Planting Network. Um, Daniel pastors Crossroads Community Church in Washington, the state of Washington, and he has a multimedia teaching ministry. He strives to make scripture easily accessible and applicable for people of all ages and backgrounds. I know you, you, you're going to love him. You probably love him already because he's been here before. Oh, something else. He also plays upright bass. So he may just want to pull the bass out and start playing a solo for you in the middle of a sermon. I don't know. Wait and see. But you're going to love it. Please join me in welcoming Daniel Fusco. Well, what's happening, Calvary? How's everyone doing today? So I know I'm allowed to say this, but you all realize you have an amazing pastor, don't you? I so love and respect Pastor Skip, his bride Lenya, of course, Pastor Nate, his bride Janae, the pastoral staff here. I just, I'm so honored that I get to be here with you. I always tell my teenage kids, I know you're shocked, it means I had kids when I was seven, but I always tell my teenage kids that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? And so I'm grateful to call your pastor, Pastor Skip, a friend of mine. So, you know, if Pastor Skip is my friend, my future is so bright, you got to wear shades, but for Pastor Skip with me as his friends, you got to pray for your pastor. Amen? <laughs> but he's got great friends as well. But it's so much fun to be here. I got, I got to be here a couple of years ago, so I met a number of you there. I know a number of you maybe know me from the two-minute messages. I was in the Albuquerque airport, and a guy keeps like, you're the two-minute message guy. And I'm like, you know? And, uh, or maybe some of you know me. I have a radio ministry called Jesus is Real Radio, and right now you're horrified that this is what I actually look like. You know? <laughs> I have a face for radio, but also I was talking to someone, uh, some of you watch my TV program on the Hillsong channel, Real with Daniel Fusco, or what you may not know is that one of the things that gets me so excited about the TV program is that we're on in the middle of the night in a lot of different places. We come on after like late night with James Corden or cops, you know, and so like in the middle of the night where I pass, I pass just outside of Portland, Oregon, and uh, I'm, on, I'm on after cops at about 1230 in the morning, and we hear Every single week, people who come home from a night out partying and they, they turn on the TV when they get home and they fall asleep and then they wake up and I'm on their television like, what's this hippie talking about, you know? And they're like, why is this hippie talking about Jesus? And, and, and then they give their lives to Christ and they text on in. And, and so it's really, really fun to see what God is doing. And so I'm excited to get to be here with you today. And I have a message that I want to share with you that, oh, this message is so important because no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, and that's one of the things I love so much about this church, a lot like what I love about Crossroads where I get to pastor, is that everyone here is on a different step of their faith journey, right? Like there are some of you who are here that you've been walking with Jesus for decades, and we praise God for that testimony. And there's others of you who you're here today and you're just kind of checking Jesus out. You know, maybe, maybe you know somebody and like, oh man, you just come, come check this out. And you're like, I don't know really where I'm at with Jesus. Now, if you're joining us here at Calvary and you don't yet know Jesus, I just first want to say, we're so excited that you're here today. And, and, and we're honored as a church that you would come and learn about Jesus here. And I'm here to tell you, this is a great church family to learn about who Jesus is. 
It's a great place. And, and so whether you're just exploring Jesus or if you know Jesus, you know this is a great place to learn and grow and deepen your faith. But because we're all on a different step of our faith journey, we have this tendency to think that everybody's different, right? That like, oh man, that was in a different spot. But really, even though we're all different, everybody's actually the same because no matter who you are and where you're at, one thing is the same is that the Holy Spirit is desiring to do a work in your life. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working on the outside, right? Seeking to, to see you come to know Jesus for who he really is as Lord and Savior, that you would begin to follow Jesus. But when you make that decision, then the Spirit of God comes on the inside and does a work on the inside. And for those of us here who, today who are already followers of Jesus, that's what the Spirit of God is doing. He dwells on the inside. Sometimes people think Christianity is about behavior modification. And don't get me wrong, like, we want to change our behavior. Like, if you're one of those people, every time, you know, you talk about politics, you end up clocking somebody. Like, we want God to change you, you know? So it's a good thing that, that you're not aggressive anymore. But really, God's not as interested in the externals or the outward. God wants to do heart surgery. And you can't do heart surgery from the outside. You can only really do it from the inside. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life and then begins doing an inside work, a work inside your heart that ends up going public as we live out into the world. So no matter who you are and where you find yourself today, the Spirit of God is doing a work in your life. And I wanted to share with you a message about what does it look like to live life in the Spirit. So in order to do that, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, a message that I'm calling Life in the Spirit. Now, if you brought your Bible with you today to church, open that thing up. I'll get you to the Gospel of Luke. I realize not everyone knows where things are in the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you to church, um, just snuggle up a little close to someone, but not too close. Okay? And of course, if you, if you have a phone with some intelligence, you can open up your favorite uh, browser window, Bible app, type in Luke chapter 4. So in the Bible, the Bible is broken up simply into two parts. The first three quarters of your Bible, from the book of Genesis to the book of the prophet Malachi, tells everything about what happened before Jesus came. And then the last quarter of your Bible, we call it the New Testament. And it begins with the foretellings of the story of the life of Jesus. We call them Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the third book. Uh, in the New Testament. And of course, still to this day, chapter 4 sits conveniently between chapters 3 and 5. <laughs> Just so we can be specific, want everyone to get there. And really what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how the Spirit of God worked in the life of our Lord Jesus himself as he began his earthly ministry. And the reason we want to do that is because if we believe in Jesus and if we're following Jesus, then however the Spirit of God worked in the life of Jesus, we can expect that that is how the Spirit of God wants to work in our lives as individuals. And don't miss that when a whole group of people, a church, a, a family of faith, all begins to allow the Spirit of God to work in their life, then you have the dynamic expansion of the good news of Jesus in a community and in the world. And so what we're going to do in Luke chapter 4 is I once heard it said this way. If you want to know who God is and what he's doing, you need to follow the verbs. Why? Because God is always active. God is always dynamic. God is never still. God's always working. And so in Luke chapter 4, we're going to see four different verbs associated with the way the Spirit of God worked in the life of Jesus himself. 
And we're going to be saying, Lord, we want you to work in our life in the same way and in the life of our church. So as we prepare to read some of the word, let's just bow our heads and our hearts as we pray together. Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would meet each one of us right where we are and speak to us in the ways that you want to. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to receive from you. God, because we're all all on different steps of our faith journey, there's one thing that's the same is that you love each one of us just as we are and you love us too much to leave us like this. So Lord, will you just help us take the next steps today in this journey with you? And we ask it all in Jesus' name and all of God's family said together, Amen. Amen. Okay, you ready to jump on in? Okay, look at Luke chapter four, verse one. We're just gonna take the first half of the verse. It says this. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So what do we learn first? Jesus was what? He was filled with the Spirit. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's not simple. Let me explain it to you. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Now, in order to fill something, what does it first need to be? It needs to be empty. Now, this is why Christianity is so challenging in this generation today. Because we live in a day and age where everybody is used to having everything the way that they want it. Right? Like I grew up in the generation, as you did, where you can have it what? Your way. And listen, we like it our way, don't we? I mean, there's like, you go to a restaurant and there's the food on the menu and then there's the thing that you order. Right? Like you go on out and it's like, man, you know, of course you guys live here in New Mexico, so obviously the the Mexican food is amazing. And so you go get a combo plate, but you're like, yeah, but I'm gluten-free. I'm dairy-free. You know, I I only like uh, corn tortillas. You know, and, and I really, can I get a side of, uh, you know, some pico de gallo and, some, and some, some red and green chilies, but mixed like 60-40, you know what I mean? And, and, then, like, and, 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 then, and then you start to order it, and, then, and, and sure enough, because they want to serve you while they bring you that stuff out. And of course, we love living in a day and age of Amazon, where you can get whatever you want in one day, or else you get cranky about it, right? And, and, and we live in this world where we can tailor everything to us. Now listen. We're super stoked it's that way, amen? Like, it's fun that you get the things the way you want it, but when you translate a, I can do everything the way I want to, and you translate it to your spiritual life, you do not have Christianity. You have narcissism with Jesus on top. And so in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, first, we need to say, Jesus, will you empty us of ourselves? Lord, will you allow me to divorce myself with my obsession with myself that Jesus, you might increase and I might decrease. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the biggest struggles because we really just want to live our lives however we want to and we just want to put sprinkle a little Jesus pixie dust on top. And actually, God is inviting us into something completely different. It's why Jesus said, if anyone desires to be my disciple, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. See, Jesus is saying, in order to be filled with my life, you need to be emptied of your own life. And right there, it makes Christianity so challenging because in order for God's kingdom to come in our life, our kingdom needs to go. In order for God's will to be done on earth, in New Mexico, in 
Vancouver, Washington as it is in heaven, then our thoughts and our views of how these things are supposed to work needs to go. We're inviting God's life in and we're saying, not our will, Lord, but yours be done. So when was the last time you prayed, Lord, will you empty me of myself so that you can fill me with you? Now, I want to talk to those of you in the house today who've been walking with Jesus for a little bit. Right, so I've been, I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years now. When I was young in the faith, God was doing such a revolutionary work in my life that I was willing to empty everything out. I mean, I was, when I came to Christ, I was so messed up and jacked up and I was so broken that I was like, man, Lord, do whatever you have to do in my life. And God was doing a major renovation. I know you all love watching Chip and Joanna Gaines and when it's demo day, you know. And when you're a baby believer, it's demo day in your life, man. God is just like, you know, breaking things down. We're going to get that shiplap out there. We're going to make it nice, you know. And, and so, but what happens is, is that once you walk with Jesus for long enough, we get so used to being a follower of Jesus that we forget that God still wants to do a major renovation of our hearts. So what I've noticed in my own heart is that there was a time when I was way open to dying to myself that I could be made alive to Jesus. But when you do that long enough, you begin to think, well, yeah, God's, I'm alive to Jesus. And then what happens is you have a Christian version of you're full of yourself. Like there's an old saying, you can't keep teaching old dog new tricks. And that might be true for Bowser or, or, or whatever your dog's name is, but it's not true in God's kingdom. God is always in the transformation business. And so we need to begin to pray, Lord, will you empty me today of myself, no matter how long I've been walking with you, Jesus, that I could get filled afresh with you. Now, what's powerful about this is the Apostle Paul used a very provocative word picture speaking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, and it's very provocative, you'll see why. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, because you are all here at Calvary and you've been very well taught by Pastor Skip, you realize that although the Apostle Paul wrote the letter, really the Holy Spirit is the real author behind the human author. Right? We call that inspiration of the scriptures. Now, I think it's super fascinating and kind of scary that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to talk about the way he works by using a drinking analogy. Because you hear what it says. It says, do not be drunk with wine in which is excess or dissipation. So he's talking about being under the influence of alcohol. Right now, I know it's going to shock all of you, but I did not grow up in the church. Don't I look like someone who just grew up in the church? Everyone's like, no. Seriously, I got, I got saved at the very end of college. I had a loving family, but not, not a godly family. And so when it talks about being drunk, like I've had those experiences, right? And, and if you have, praying for you, pray for me, you know? And I, I have all these stories about when people would get drunk. When I read Get Drunk with Wine, I think, you know, when I was young and dumb and we got drunk on Mad Dog 2020. Boone's Farms. If you know what those things are, I'm definitely praying for you. If you don't know what they are, don't go looking for them. Just like, like let it go. Don't Google it. Just, just pass, go, collect your $200 and keep moving, you know. 
But the idea is, is that in our laws, we have a whole section of our laws that talk about being under the influence. Because they realize that when a person consumes a foreign substance like drug or, drugs or alcohol, now you're under the influence of that foreign substance. And when you're under the influence of the foreign substance, it now impedes your ability to make good decisions. It affects your motor skills. You make decisions that actually bring out some of the worst parts of who we are. Now, I'm explaining this to you because it says, don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. See, the Spirit of God realizes that just as a person, when they're under the foreign substance of drugs or alcohol, that they are under its influence, in the exact same way, God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of the foreign substance, in this case, the Holy Spirit, doesn't bring out the worst parts of who we are, he brings out the best parts of who we are. And let me ask you a simple question. What's the best part of who you are? Jesus in you. And so the Apostle Paul says, listen, just like a person can be under the influence of wine, which is dissipation, instead of that, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 5 verse 18, that word be filled in the Greek language is in, is in what they call the present continuous tense, which literally can be translated... Be being filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to jump on the end of that, and I'm going to finish the drinking analogy. For those of us who are born-again believers, we should be coming to the Holy Spirit and saying, top us off, Lord. Fill us up again. And if you don't believe me, when you read the end of John's gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts, isn't that what's happening to the apostles? At the end of John's gospel, Jesus breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then after Peter and John come back from being questioned by the religious leaders for the healing of the man in the temple courts, it says the house was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And really what that means is no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, he wants us to be presently and continually topped off so that we can always be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So my friends, join me in praying personally that we would say, Lord, will you empty me of myself and my self-styled life so I can be filled with you and the resurrection power of Jesus right here, right now, where I find myself today. So it begins with being filled with the Spirit. Now go back to Luke 4, verse 1. I'll read the whole verse, but we'll focus on the second half now. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So now we see what? Jesus was what? Led by the Spirit. So I would tell you that the Spirit of God wants to fill you so that he can lead you. Okay. We've been talking about why it's hard. And, it, and, it, and it's tough sledding in a sense to be a Christian in this generation. Again, the idea of being led by the Spirit means that you don't get to choose where you're going, how you're getting there, the route you're taking, or how long it's going to take. And can we just be honest? None of us like to do something that we don't know where we're going, how we're getting there, how long it takes. Isn't that true? Like imagine if I just pulled up and I'm like, hey, come on with me. We're following the Lord. Well, where are we going? Don't worry about it. How are we getting there? Oh, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. How long is it going to take? Don't know. How many of you jumping in the car? None of you are. And if you are, it's called stranger danger. You don't get in the car. Okay? Just like, 
Even if it's me, especially if it's me. <laughs> Here's a question. How many of you are married to somebody who when you go with them, they have to drive? Go ahead, raise your hand. Oh, it's so funny. Hands go up and a, a number of wives are like, totally me, but he's sitting next to me. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Because whoever drives, they want control, right? They, they, they want, because um, they want to drive however they want to drive. They, they want to take the route, either the scenic route or the efficient route. They want to pass who they want to pass. They want to use the horn as necessary. In some cars, the driver gets control over the soundtrack, right? And really what it is, is because we live in a day and age where you can have everything the way you want, all of us long for the feelings of security that comes with the control to make your own decisions. But guess what? If you're following Jesus and you're being led by the Spirit, you're actually trusting a good God to lead you where you wouldn't choose for yourself. And isn't that a challenge? Like, we're so used to being in control of everything. And now we're invited to not only be emptied of ourselves and filled with the Spirit, but now we're invited not to feel the false views of security by saying, I get to go where I want to go, how I want to go there. And now we're saying we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. But listen, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 tells us, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are the children of God. So you know someone is a child of God because they're led of the Holy Spirit. So in a lot of ways, it's like I have these three great kids. Obadiah, he's 15. Maranatha, she's 12. Annabelle, she's six. Pray for us because our six-year-old Annabelle, she's the boss. <laughs> she's, some, she's me, but in a little cute girl who sucks her thumb. She's so sweet, you know. But it's like, when we're going somewhere, dad gets to drive, right? And in a lot of ways, the same thing, when you become a child of God, you relinquish the steering wheel. And you say, my father's going to drive this thing now. He's going to lead this life now. And for a lot of us, we believe in Jesus, but you haven't been led in a long time. You only do what makes you comfortable. You only do what you feel comfortable doing. Now, I want you to notice this because in Luke chapter four, verse one, it says that Jesus was led where? Into the wilderness. Now, this isn't like the Holy Spirit, but like, hey, Jesus, come on, we're gonna go on a camping trip together. You know, like we're gonna go out into the New Mexican mountains. We got our tent, you know, we, we, got, we got our gear. You know, we're just gonna go out and we're gonna have some quiet time in the wilderness. That's not what's going on here. And if you look at the word led in Luke 4.1 in the Greek language, it has a very intense thrust. It could be translated that you're being, Jesus was being driven or compelled by the Spirit into the wilderness. So what you have here is you have God having a plan for Jesus that what we're going to find is this, it wouldn't be exactly what Jesus would have signed up for. In the wilderness, there's a great ordeal that Jesus goes through. And what I have found is that for many of us, we believe in Jesus, but when we sense the leading of the Holy Spirit into something that doesn't feel all that comfortable, we begin to drag our feet. So here's my question for you. What are you dragging your feet on right now that you know God has for you? 
Like where God is inviting you and it's not necessarily your preference. It's not necessarily the thing that you might want to do. It might not be something that you ever really chose to do, but you know the Spirit of God is compelling your heart to take a step of faith and you're dragging your feet. I always tell the folks at Crossroads, you know what the problem with walking by faith is? It's that you gotta walk by faith. We're so used to walking by sight. We're so used to diagramming out the next season of life, the next five years, and that's a great thing. But almost always that involves us feeling comfortable, in control, doing the very things that we always wanted to do. And oftentimes when we're led of the Spirit, He wants to do things that we would have never chosen. Like if you'd have told me six months into being a follower of Jesus that I would have been a pastor, I would have laughed uncontrollably until I started burping. Because at that time, I was pursuing a career in music. I, I had visions of me on the cover of Bass Player Magazine, my upright, my electric bass. It's like, yeah, you know? And, and the groups I was playing were, were taking off. And I was like, man, this is happening. And then the Lord's just like, oh, hold on. We got another plan for your life, Fusco. You know? But I would have never chosen it. I, dr I was dragging my feet. So what are you dragging your feet on today? If you're being led... That's going to involve us walking by faith, not by sight. He invites us into things we never would have imagined because he has a plan that we can't even fathom. Jesus was filled so that he can be led. Now, we're going to talk about what happened to Jesus in the wilderness in a second, but I want to first show you the outcome of Jesus' wilderness experience. So turn one page over in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, verse 14, or it's on the same page, or if you have a Giant print Bible, it's like seven pages down the road. I'm almost ready for a giant print Bible at my age. I look down and I'm like, I can't really see this anymore. That's my problem though, not yours. Luke 4 verse 14 says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So really what we have now is that Jesus returned what? In the power of the Spirit. So what this teaches is that the Spirit wants to fill us so that he can lead us. And as he leads us, now we have power in this life. It's a supernatural power. But it's interesting that Jesus returned from his experience in the wilderness. And now he's empowered and then he begins to do the preaching circuit that he started to do. So in, in some ways it's like he's baptized He's filled with the Spirit. Then he's led, and he's led into an ordeal. And then when he returns, now he's been uniquely empowered to begin this public ministry, going around preaching in the synagogues and talking to people about the kingdom of God. But what happened in the wilderness? Now, if you were to go back, and I encourage you to do it later today, read Luke 4, 1 through 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. When the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, what happened in the wilderness? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted by the devil. Now, can we talk about this for a second? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I remember when I first started reading the Bible, brand new Christian, right? Now, I'm an all-Italian kid. My family came out of New York, and they couldn't afford to buy a house in New York with three kids at that time, so they moved to, at that point, it was like the boondocks of New Jersey, but now New Jersey's, you know, all built up. And so when you're an all-Italian kid from New York, food is a love language, right? Like, so if they love you, they feed you. 
if you love them, you eat everything they give you <laughs> to the point of gluttony, right? Now, I remember I'm asking my pastor, I'm like, hey, so what's this fasting thing? And he's like, oh, oh. he's like, you know, pastor, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, what do you don't eat so you can seek God? I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> like, why would you ever not want to eat to seek God? And he's like, well, you know, because, because you love God. I'm like, look, I love people. I'm still going to eat with them. Like, like, what's the problem? And, and then he's like, no, no, really what you're telling God is you're like, God, I need you more than what I need to stay alive. Like, you're my true source. And you use food, but I need you more than I need anything else. So I'm going to set myself apart. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. And he's like, well, you should do it. And I was interested in growing in my faith. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fast. Right? So I remember, I'm like, okay, going to fast for 24 hours. And so sure enough, I woke up that morning, about 8 o'clock. By 9.30, I was coming undone. <laughs> like, I was in a bad mood. It was so bad that I had to take a nap at 9.30 in the morning. Literally, I, just, I went to bed, right? And when I woke up two hours later at 11.30, you know how I was doing? I was hangry. Like, like you look at hangry in the dictionary. There's me having not eaten in breakfast, because literally for my entire life, and I wasn't one of those, some of you guys are like, and gals are really great, like I just eat three square meals a day. Dude, I believe that like food is like life. So like you wake up, you have a snack, you have breakfast, you have elevensies, you have lunch, second lunch, third and fourth lunch, snack, dinner, midnight snack, 10 o'clock snack. 7.30 snack, you know, like some of you are like that. And so I had never not eaten a meal in my entire life. And I was in a bad way. And I remember I was like, I had a headache. My, my blood sugar was crashing. And I'm like, God, I need you. Or else I'm going to kill somebody right now. <laughs> it was bad. But then like after some time, obviously like, you know, that all subsided. And God met me in some really powerful ways. Like my call into ministry is part of that story as well. That evening. But that was me just trying to fast for like six hours. <laughs> Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And in one of the gospel accounts, it tells us that then he became hungry. And doctors will tell you that when you don't eat, in the beginning you're hungry. And then as time goes on, you lose the hunger pains because your body's got bigger things to deal with, like keeping you alive while you're starving. And then when the hunger pains come back, it literally means you're starving to death. It's like the, the body's last-ditch effort for you to get food into you. And in the midst of that, then Jesus starts getting tempted by the devil. So this is what you would call an ordeal. This is what you would call a trial. This is what you call something that none of us wants, but the Spirit of God led Jesus right into this. Now, why did the Spirit of God do it? Because Jesus, being in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted by the devil is absolutely essential for our understanding of who Jesus is. Why? Because what it proves, I'm going to explain it to you in two ways we learn, two things we learn about Jesus that is essential. First, it teaches us that Jesus is the new and better Adam. Do you remember Adam, the first man? He was not in the wilderness. He was in paradise. Adam was not fasting, he was feasting. But he was tempted by the devil, and what happened? He stumbled. I always think about, you know, Adam, that period, it was like he lived in Costco and Whole Foods and everything was for free. 
He can have anything he wants except for one thing. They call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like, you know, kale or whatever. You know, and he's like, you know, it's like, you can eat it, just don't eat the kale. And Adam's like, all I want is kale. I don't know why. Or what, and if you love kale, God bless you. I put it in my smoothie so I don't have to taste it. But that's a different discussion, you know. And it's like, he had access to everything, but there was one prohibition. But when he came, when he was tempted, Eve and Adam, they ate. They failed. Right? But Jesus, as the second Adam, succeeded where Adam failed. That's important. That's why Paul calls him the second, the second Adam. Now also, you all realize that no number in the Bible is by chance. So who else spent a period of 40 in a wilderness? The children of Israel. Now tell me this. How did the children of Israel do in the wilderness for 40 years? They did horrible, right? Every time they were tempted, they stumbled. But don't miss the fact, even though the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, God was feeding them supernaturally all through it. Like they were getting... The manna from heaven, six out of the seven days a week, right? Now, do you ever wonder what the manna is? You should wonder. I'm here to tell you. Ready? One, two, three, eyes on me. Ready? <laughs> this is deep Bible. Know what the manna is? Twinkies. Because <laughs> manna means what is it? And everyone wonders, what's in a Twinkie? I mean, it's this wonderful yellow cake. Some, some, some good cream in the middle. And the beauty of Twinkies is that if it's the only thing you have in your pantry, if everything else goes bad, it's still as fresh as the day you bought it. <laughs> it's actually my favorite food in the world. It's really not a Twinkie. So don't, I mean, some of you are going to call in Pastor Skip like, he said it's a Twinkie. We know it's not a Twinkie. Why did he come? I, listen, I'm kidding. Have some fun, you know. But, but you realize God was feeding them supernaturally. Not only the manna from heaven, but there's like quail. I mean, they're like playing like reverse like like frisbee golf with quail. Like they're coming flying, knocking them down and they're having themselves chicken fricassee or whatever. You know what I mean? And they're eating all this stuff, but yet every time they were tempted, they stumbled. But then of course, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting because as the Messiah, he is the embodiment of all that Israel was meant to be. And Jesus honored his father. Now, why do I bring this up? Because many of you right now are going through deep trials. You're going through ordeals. Maybe God led you into those things where there's things going on and God's saying, I want you to go this way and then you get there and it's just a mess. What I want to encourage you is like Jesus, don't focus on the trial, focus on the Lord. And when we honor the Lord in the trial, the fruits of trusting in the trustworthy God through the big struggles of life is now you've been empowered to do the ministry God has called you to do. It's like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, we comfort others with the what? The comfort that we've received. But the only way you get comforted in the trial is by going through it, so that when someone else is going through it, something you went through now, you not only have biblical wisdom, but you know that God is faithful. You can say, look, I went through something similar to that. Every situation is different, but what I want to tell you is that God is good. The only way you know that the anchor holds is when you're going through the storm. And for too many of us, we make the mistake in the trial of not trusting the Lord, but looking for some sort of quick fix, some sort of way to dull what's actually happening. But we want to learn from Jesus because he was led by the Spirit into an ordeal, and through the ordeal, he comes out the other end empowered for the work that God has called him to do. So God leverages our problems for a very specific purpose. 
And I think for some of us, that's all you needed to hear today. The ordeal is not just problematic, it's purposeful. Because God wants to empower you. And that's why, of course, it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, a very famous verse, that it's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, some of you be like, well, you're just talking about being empowered. He says it's not by power. It means human power. See, what, the work that God wants to do is not within the realm of what you can handle. It's in the realm of what he's up to. So we have the tendency to limit what God wants to do because we're like, well, only if I can handle it. Right? Oh, oh, only if it's within the resources that I have. And God's like, no, no, no. I've got greater resources than you realize. And when you go through something where you need more than you have, that's when you learn how good God is. So you notice this. He wants us to be emptied of ourselves so we can be filled with the Spirit. So that we can be led into the purposes that God has. So that we can be empowered to do the work. Now, you might say, okay, that's all great. But where does this land? I got one more verb to show you. Look what it says next. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Brothers and sisters, you see what it says in verse 18? Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. Now, I love this because really what we learn now is Jesus was filled so he could be led. He was led so that he could be empowered. And he was empowered so that he could be anointed for the very specific work that God had him to do. Because when he went in, he's going around, he's preaching, and he's in his hometown of Nazareth, and he went to the synagogue, and they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And this quotation that Jesus read was right out of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Where he says, the spirit of the Lord was upon me, Jesus is saying, and he has anointed me. And then he talks about the messianic ministry. See, Jesus realized that his ability to fulfill the very purpose to which he came to the earth was dependent upon the filling, the leading, and the empowering of the spirit. And it's a specific anointing for the specific work. Now, here's what I want to tell you. That's not only true of Jesus. Listen, only Jesus gets to be the Messiah. Only Jesus gets to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Only Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And only Jesus is the one to whom we're all to believe. But when Jesus redeems a person, when Jesus receives one of us to him and lavishes his grace and forgiveness on us, he places us within his family. And I would tell you that God has given each one of you an anointing to fulfill the work that God created you to walk in. Each one of us, the Spirit of God has already anointed to do the very work that God called you to do. Because God doesn't invite us to be a part of His family and do the work of ministry and then sits back like a America's Got Talent judge and judge how you do on it. 
He says, there's a work that I created you for, and I'm going to anoint and empower you to do that work. Now, I don't want you to make the mistake, and it happens so easy, where, you know, you're here at Calvary, and week in and week out, you hear Pastor Skip teaching the Bible. And I mean, good night. He's like Mozart in the pulpit. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's like you too. It's just like, he's been doing it forever. It's ever fresh. We all love it. It's like, it's like, he's amazing. And you're like, man, I can't do what Pastor Skip can do. Or you look at the amazing worship that you guys have here. You know, and you're like, man, you're like, man, I wish I could sing like so-and-so. I mean, when I sing in the shower, the water turns off. Like the water can't even handle my, 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 my singing. And so it's like, I can't, I can't do it. And listen, you don't have to. Because God has gifted them and anointed them to do that work. What I want to tell you is that as a church, this church has needs for everybody in this church family to step on in. Like you realize you guys serve like a thousand kids, thousands of kids each week between birth and high school. Now for some of you right now, you're like, bro, I didn't even like my own kids. I don't want to take care of someone else's kids. Now if you didn't like your own kids, you want to take care of, listen, there's other things to do. But for some of you, God's called you there. You're looking at the world today, you're like, man, I'm nervous about this younger generation. Listen, don't just complain about it. Make an investment. Jump on in there. And I'm here to tell you, in the younger generation, they want people to make the investment. They just don't know how to ask. Right? So, so step on into that. Some of you are like, oh, man, listen, I'm not doing anything with kids, man. But I really, I really like adults. Well, listen, be a greeter. Be one of those people who call all the people who connect to this place. Listen, God wants to use your friendliness to be inviting. Some of you are like, man, I don't like, like, I don't like people. Well, listen, join the safety team. You get to beat up people in the name of Jesus. Now, listen, that's not really the safety team's job unless you're being naughty. And then just don't be naughty. You won't get beat up. You know what I mean? But it's like, but listen, some of you have that guardians kind of mentality, the protector side. Well, guess what? There's a role for that. You know, some of you right now, you're hearing all this feed, you know, New Mexico kids, and it's stirring your heart. Well, guess what? God wants you to step into that. I would tell you, God has already anointed you to step into it. The fact that you have that stirring in your heart. Some of you are like, listen, I just, I'd like, just put me behind the scenes, man. Listen, there's a tech ministry here. All these things go on behind the scenes. No one has to see you do anything. You don't even have to see yourself as dark behind the stage, you know. But you could step on into that. And I'm here to tell you that God has already anointed you to step into that. Because our Bibles teach in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that each one of us are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. Not completed yet. Not hanging in a museum yet to be on display. But a, a masterpiece that's in process. That is created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. That means that God has unique works that only you can do as part of his body that he created you for. And when we realize that you already have what you need in Christ through the Spirit, that anointing is already there, then we become free just to say, Lord, empty me and fill me so you can lead me and empower me that I can walk in the anointing. And here's what I want to tell you as I bring this to a close. God has done extraordinary things in Calvary Church for decades and it is extraordinary what he's done, but God's work is not done yet because Jesus is not back. And I believe that God wants to do a work in and through 
this church family that is so unique and substantial that it is literally going to change the trajectory of people's lives on into eternity. I believe that what God has done is extraordinary and we love the past and we're going to live the future together. And I believe that God wants each one of you to step into exactly what he has as his child anointed by his spirit to do his work so that God can reach this emerging generation through this house in such an amazing way that if the Lord tarries for another 50 years or 100 years, we will see a revival that this place is ground zero for. But my friends, listen, it's not about just the preaching or the facilities. Or, it's about the whole body under the head of Jesus fulfilling their God-given, spirit-empowered and anointed roles. And as one of your brothers who gets to minister in another part of the country, I cannot wait to see what God is going to do next year with you all. Amen? So let's bow our heads and our hearts as we pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for the Calvary family. Oh, it's so good to be here, Lord. And we ask together as individuals, as a church, that you would empty of us of ourselves, that you may fill us with your spirit. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive us for wanting to drive ourselves. Lord, we want to be led by your spirit. And Lord, no matter what you lead us into, will you help us to keep our eyes on you, Jesus? That as we go through different things, we would come out the other end empowered by your spirit with that unique and specific anointing to fulfill your calling, not only for our lives, but for your church and for the community and world in which we live. So Father, do all that you want to do. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to stir your spirit here in Calvary in such unique and substantial ways. And now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never before said yes to Jesus, and you're hearing this, you're hearing about the Spirit working on the outside, how He wants to get on the inside, and you're saying, I want the Spirit on the inside. Well, listen, you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You have to receive His grace. You have to receive His forgiveness. Or maybe you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus in the past, but you've gotten away from Him. And today is a day where you need to recommit your life to Jesus. But you're saying, look, I don't want to be away from my Father. I don't want to be away from the Lord. I'm coming home. If that's you in one of those categories, either saying yes for the first time or maybe saying yes for the first time in a long time, we just take a simple step of faith with me today and just raise your hand up high right where you are. Just say, it's me. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Just raise those hands up high. Just say, I'm saying yes. I want my sins forgiven. Oh, God bless you. I see you right in the front. I see you right in the center as well. All the way in the back on the aisle. Praise God. I see you outside the glass. There I see you on the edge there. Praise God. Oh, I see you. There you go. Right on the side there as well. Praise the Lord. See you a little bit towards the back there. Praise God. Just put those hands up. I just say, it's me. I'm saying yes to Jesus here today. Father, we thank you for the hands that are up. We thank you that your grace is greater than any mistake they could ever make. Lord, we thank you that you love each one of these folks just as they are and you love them too much to leave them that way. So Lord, seal them. Fill them with your spirit. Let them follow hard after Jesus all their days. And we thank you for it, Father. Now, as these folks keep their hands raised, if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus and you're hearing this message and you're saying, man, I want to be emptied of myself so I can be filled with the spirit. I want to be led in fresh ways. I want to be empowered and I want to walk in the anointing that Jesus died on the cross that I would walk in. If that's you, I want you to join these folks with their hands raised. I just want you to raise your hand as well if you're a believer and saying, just raise those hands up. Just say, Lord, I want 
you to do the work you want to do in my life. And Father, as hands are going up all over the sanctuary right now, Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon your church. Lord, we know as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And we want to show that we're your kids by being led by you. And so, Lord, will you do all that you want to do as you're inviting us to stop dragging our feet and take steps of faith, Lord. Will you help us to step on out into what you have for us? And that, God, we would see you move in this generation in such extraordinary ways that we'd all sit back and say, only Jesus could do this. And we love you, Lord. And we ask it in the holy and powerful name of our King Jesus and all the church said together, Amen. amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.